podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by The Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hi, Ben. Hello. How are you? Great. You know what it means to to go to hit 555, right? No. What does it mean? It means you get a hit five out of ten times. <laughs> or you, according to an email we received about that comment, it means that you hit the ball five yeah. out of ten times. I don't know if that guy's email was was true. <laughs> if it was true, I would say that it erred on the side of being a bit more pedantic than I need in my life at this point. But uh, I will be I'll be listening out. There's an allegation that I might have misconstrued uh, or, or somehow misconstrued, but but in a way that makes the lawyer make worse. So yes, uh, you underrated how, yeah, how so bad that ad is. Feel no sympathy for the uh, lawyer. Uh, we're joined today by uh, by Doug Thorburn. Hi, Doug. Hi. How you guys doing? Good. So uh, we have Doug on here because, uh, well, there was no baseball today, which felt odd. Uh, Single tier, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so we had some uh, some kind of outstanding questions about this postseason that are suited to Doug's specialty. Which uh, Doug is one of one, we know. Ben and I know a lot of smart people. I don't know if any of them are smarter than than Doug, especially within a field of research that is very valuable. To us, which is pitching mechanics. Uh, Doug is a pitching mechanics expert, and he's been on the show a bunch. People know him, but uh, in case you're new, hi Doug. Hi, how are you? Again, <laughs> hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should note by the way, uh, the five D five is clearly five of nine, not five of ten. I know that was the that's the joke. Yeah. It's, <laughs> oh, okay. It's, it's very easy email, math, so. right? Because it's like the easiest <laughs> math in the world. It's like the easiest math you could have with the number nine uh, involved. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, uh, Doug, the first one that we want to talk about, maybe the most important one we want to talk about, is Adam Wainwright. We talked a lot about Adam Wainwright yesterday. Uh, ben and I both are pessimists. We think that there's got to be some sort of injury there or something like that. Uh, well, there's obviously some sort of injury there, but we think there's a serious injury there. Uh, but Adam Wainwright himself has just sort of said, hey, my mechanics are off. Uh, my elbow's not nearly as bad as it's being made out to be. And in the last two starts, I just had mechanical issues. So I have a sort of small question and a sort of bigger question for you regarding that. The smaller one is you've uh, watched these games. Uh, you Well, you've been recapping. Let's see. You are recapping the series, but you didn't recap that game. I assume you've gone back and looked. So I wanted to know if you see anything in Wainwright's mechanics that explains his particular brand of being off. Um, but the larger question I have is, is there anything that Wainwright has been getting wrong as a pitcher in the last uh, couple starts uh, that couldn't be both injury or mechanics? And that's very poorly phrased. But I guess what I'm saying is, do all the clues that I see, that Ben and I think we've picked up in the way he's pitching, could all of them be just as easily explained by mechanics. In other words, is there often a near-perfect overlap between the sort of things that you might see a pitcher who's losing his mechanics do to a baseball in manipulating that baseball and locating that baseball and the things that you might see a pitcher who's dealing with injury do with a baseball? Those things are really interconnected because you have a lot of guys who 
once they do get injured, it's the it's the Will Carroll you know injury cascade all over again. But they start you know using uh, compensatory mechanics to try to overcome whatever thing is is messing with them. Now, Wayne Wright said specifically that uh, he was he hit, quote, the quote from him was that he was dramatically late getting the ball out of his glove. Um, and it was something that AJ Brzezinski noticed, and um, it's something that I I noticed a little bit of. I wouldn't call it dramatic. But as far as what he's feeling, especially for a pitcher who's used to being able to repeat that release point and find his ideal release point really efficiently, um, for him, that might feel like a dramatic change. And sure enough, if, if he's bringing his glove, his, his hand out of the glove late, that's going to cause him. It's, it's basically the whole rotational sequence is now um, behind schedule. And so his arm's going to be late. He's going to end up elevating pitches. Now, to be perfectly honest, he's had some pitches hit that were like, uh, you know, he's had a couple of curveballs that were actually below the zone that were hit hard. Um, so to me, it's it's not as simple as just saying, oh, yeah, clearly the mechanics are off or or clearly he's hurt. Um, it's it's amazing. It's kind of like human nature, right, that we try to find some kind of a causal explanation for everything. And so I think that, you know, he's trying to calm people down, you know, calm them off the ledge when it comes to potential injury risk with him. Um but for him, this might actually feel like a pretty stark difference. Now, the difference for him is um, when he breaks his hands, it really is subtle. It's um, it used to be he would bring the hand out of the glove right before the the lift leg would start coming down. Now he's doing it right after the lift leg comes down. It's such a minor type of thing, but because it's on either side of that uh, that sort of checkpoint, um, I could see it as feeling like it was a big issue. That said, I'm not necessarily saying that he's going to come back and be the Adam Wainwright of old. Um, so there, there's a couple of things there. The mechanics could definitely be tied to it. And if it's a timing issue, that isn't necessarily related to injury. Uh, how does that happen to a pitcher of Wainwright's experience? I mean, how, like, that seems like such a simple thing. He's, he's gone through this motion you know, hundreds of thousands of times. Is that true? Uh... <laughs> let's, say, let's say thousands of times. Tens of thousands. I'm Maybe tens of thousands, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it feels like that's not the thing that you would expect to go wrong in his mechanics. Like, you could see if he were just, like, I don't know, like, lost his center of gravity or something. But that feels like such a, to, to use the phrase mechanical, it just seems so so uh, so easy to repeat and so obvious if you're not repeating it. So, like, how does this happen with a pitcher of, of such experience? Uh, and, and, like, I don't know, is it... Is it is it conceivable that it's totally random and has nothing to do with anything else? I wouldn't call it random, but when it when it comes to timing, it is so sensitive that guys can lose it. Even guys who are used to being able to repeat their deliveries like crazy, someone like a Wainwright, they can lose it at any given time. Um, timing is just that fickle, and when it comes to the rotational elements, especially, you've got some guys where, especially when it comes to that handbrake, it really does kick off the whole rotational sequence. So if the upper body rotational sequence is delayed and the lower body's preparing him to throw the baseball and the arm ends up, the throwing arm ends up being late, then yeah, he is going to end up with elevated pitches. He is going to end up missing targets. And someone of his experience certainly can lose it that quickly and they can also get it back that quickly. So when it comes to timing, it, it it's the type of thing that could plague them for months or they can fix it in game. Um, the fact that he thinks he has a trigger now that that it was the timing of the handbrake, it, it's kind of weird that someone of his experience didn't realize that himself. That it took not even the guy who regularly catches him; it took took a backup catcher to notice that stuff. So, um, someone who was pretty new with the team. So, uh, I, I find that to be really interesting. 
Um, but especially a, a pitcher of his caliber, though. And so when I was playing detective this week and trying to look at his pitches and the location and um, you know his his release point and all these things, uh, was I just fooling myself? Do I not have the experience or the um, kind of insight to find that narrow space that might you know exist between injury and mechanics? Am I if he says it's mechanics, uh, do I have anything better to do than and just sort of take him at his word or or whatever? I think so. When it comes to injury, there's you know some, there's certain indicators, and command unfortunately is not one of them. Even though command has been linked to elbow soreness and and everything else, for me that's more about guys coming back from an elbow injury. Um, for someone who might be injured, there's a million reasons why their command could be off a little bit, and it's just going to be exaggerated for someone like Wainwright who relies on elite level command to have the level of success that he's used to. I'm wondering about a couple other Cardinals pitchers. I don't know how closely you have studied them this year, but Shelby Miller was sort of the story of last postseason in that he was not pitching and everyone spent October wondering why he was not pitching. And then he started out this season as, you know, pitching like someone who should not have been pitching last playoffs, but then he finished really strong and has reestablished himself. And I'm, Wondering if you've looked at either Miller or Waka since he returned and kind of became uh, something like Miller in that he is not really being used this postseason too, though possibly for different reasons. Yeah, I haven't watched Waka as much, um, but with Miller, with him, fastball command is everything because he is he's basically a two-pitch guy and the curveball hasn't even been that effective this year. So the fastball is everything with him. And so if he's lost even a little bit of velocity, but especially if he's lost command, and that's been the biggest thing that I've noticed. And he's he's started to clean it up a little bit. He's starting to find better repetition, but overall his inability to repeat his delivery, his inconsistent momentum is causing him to have an erratic release point and that for him, that's a killer. I mean, the guy throws I don't have it right in front of me right now, but I'm guessing it's something like 75% fastballs. I mean, the, the guy is a fastball machine, and if his curveball isn't working, it's basically he's he's left with just his fastball. And so uh, for me, that's a big issue with him uh, when it comes to being able to repeat that delivery. It's kind of like what we're talking about with Wainwright, except that Wainwright has established that he can have an elite level of repetition, whereas Miller, as far as what he's shown, he's excellent when his fastball command is on and when his curveball is he's able to bury it well. But when he can't, I mean, he's completely vulnerable. From what I can tell, Wainwright has thrown about 40,000 pitches as a professional. Well, so but we he's can, done. Yeah. So, so we you... can comfortably say that um, I guess he has probably not thrown 100,000 times. Oh, of course he has. Well, high I school. I mean, easily. Well, he was no, drafted at high school. You have high school, you have college. But oh, okay, you well, if you're counting months. bullpen, are we counting bullpens? Spring training. Okay, <laughs> all right, sure. All right. How many? How many pitches? What percentage of Wainwright's pitches in a given year do you think are thrown in a game? I don't know. What that, do you think he throws? Thirty. Better idea than I do. I mean, you think he throws maybe thirty-five in the bullpen before a game? Well, and it's so different. I mean, a, a guy's bullpen delivery and his in-game delivery, we like to think they're the same, but there are plenty of guys that look great in the bullpen or even with their warm-up pitches, and then once they ramp it up to full bore it's pretty rough the glove the glove hand the, the hand glove separation though you would think would be the same it's impressive that aj Przinski noticed it because aj Przinski just met the guy yeah no that's what's shocking to me absolutely um so uh i want to ask you about danny duffy because uh this is the one of the the great mysteries of this postseason duffy was uh in many ways the royals best pitcher this year 
you would have thought he would be starting game one or two in these series. Instead, he has disappeared completely. Um, and uh, everybody insists that he's not hurt. Uh, Andy McCullough uh, of the Kansas City Star writes, uh, tweets, Danny Duffy is healthy. All involved parties continue to maintain. The Royals remain wary after his mechanical breakdown in late September. Duffy has basically uh, been unable to throw strikes out of the windup during his last two starts. That's why the Royals are keeping him in relief. And not just keeping him in relief, incidentally, but kind of burying him in relief. He hasn't been uh, used in the same way that, like, for instance, the Tigers used Anibal Sanchez um, or the Nationals used Tanner Roark, although maybe the need hasn't been there. Um, so uh, have you looked at Danny Duffy's mechanics in September, and is it as striking and shocking and, and obvious as these tweets would kind of have us believe? Uh, it is pretty – it's pretty striking. I mean, overall, it's a it's a lack of balance is his main issue. Um, now, he's doing – a lot of it he's doing from both the wind-up and the stretch in the sense that he has a lot more spine tilt. Um, he's ending up out in front a lot. So he's – you, we call it the kill of the boat, where the the back foot ends up popping up the, off the ground a little bit too early because the the front half is uh, basically leaning too far out in front. So why, I noticed that with that. Him. Why is that called kill the boat? Uh, keel of the boat. So it's oh. it's kind of like uh, yeah. if if you imagine the top of a sail moving forward, the keel of the boat, the bottom of the boat is going to end up basically following that same pathway. So it's it's hard to explain without <laughs> having a visual there, um, but. It, uh, that's something that I've definitely noticed with them, whether it's wind-up or stretch. Now, the big thing that I've noticed uh, overall that is just a wind-up thing um, has been his drop-and-drive. Um, usually, he's pretty good at maintaining his vertical stability, so maintaining the same head height and not crouching too much after maximum leg lift. Um, but this season, but especially his last start against the White Sox, um, he was really exaggerating that drop. He was increasing his momentum, which is kind of nice, but the bigger thing was that he was really lowering his center of gravity after maximum leg lift, um, which was, you combine that with all the other imbalances and was definitely wrecking havoc on his release point. Um, now for him, I think it could be fatigue as much as anything. When you see a guy who's got a balance issue like that, um, especially one where all of a sudden the drop and drive is being exaggerated, that's usually a fatigue issue for a young pitcher that, you know, he hasn't had this many innings. I'm trying to look, let's see, last year he had, 69 in the minors and uh, 24 in the majors. He's yeah, he's thrown 149 in the majors already, not counting the inning he threw in the uh, DS or whatever. So um, overall, to me, this looks to be more of a of a fatigue issue, and the Royals would be the first ones that would be on top of that. That would know that okay, this is this is an indicator to us that he's not someone that we can trust um, at the especially in a starting role in a playoff game. Would you expect him to still be fatigued after, what, more than two weeks off at this point? Yeah, because to me, it's, it's a full season fatigue. It's not just a, oh, we'll you know, give him eight days rest and he'll be all right. Um, now, that it might work that way, but you know, players are individuals, and how he reacts to it um, is really up to him. And from, from what I saw, if he's continuing to have that problem, and the Royals would know if he's doing that even in the bullpen. That's one of those aspects that a lot of players look great in the bullpen and then they go 100% and all of a sudden the balance goes, the posture goes. Um, if he's doing that even in the bullpen, then the Royals know not to trust him at this point. What, uh, what part of the body is fatigued that would cause this? Uh, is this like his shoulder is fatigued or would it be like his core is fatigued or his legs are fatigued or, or what? I would say more middle, lower half. Um, so it could be legs, it could be core. 
Um, but overall, he's not able to sustain the same the same foundation that he's used to being able to do. So that does speak to either lower half or midsection. And uh, Andy's tweets uh, specifically said the windup. Did you see him out of the stretch? Oh, yeah. From, from the stretch, he actually looks better from the stretch. He still has some extra posture issues, which uh, is so, so it's more of a lateral imbalance from the stretch when you compare to when he was really going well, like, say, in July and August. Um, but the one of specific stuff, that's the drop and drive. And so to me, that's the that's the big indicator of fatigue. So that tells me that the other balance issues he's having are probably fatigue uh, oriented or, or fatigue related. Hmm. And sticking with Kansas City, I want to ask you a question about your Dono Ventura. You wrote about him a bit at the end of September when you looked at starters with the best stuff. And Ventura, of course, does throw harder than than any other starter, according to the radar gun or according to the pitch FX cameras. But I was watching some of the new StatCast videos that have been coming out in the last few days, and I noticed that while those videos have, I guess they call it effective velocity or perceived velocity, which is tied to the stride length, how, how close to the plate the pitcher actually releases the ball. So Ventura, when he's throwing 98-something, according to that video, his perceived velocity is only about 96, whereas if you watch, say, Trevor Rosenthal in another one of those StatCast videos, when he's throwing 98-something, his perceived velocity is close to 100. So I want to ask you about Ventura. Is this just a product of his size? Because you, you look at his numbers and he throws harder than any other starter, but the results don't really reflect that. His his strikeout rate is about average for a starting pitcher, and I've wondered why that is. And is it something to do with him not getting the same extension? And how does he generate so much velocity and yet not have quite the same perceived velocity that someone else might? Uh, well, absolutely, this has to do with extension. I mean, uh, for someone like Giordano, I mean, in the uh, in the 2014 starting pitcher guide, I gave him like a 45 for release distance. He has days where it's 40. He has days where it's closer to 50. For him, part of his size related, because that is definitely impacting him as far as what kind of a stride he can generate. Um, part of that as well, I'm curious, the stats cast stuff you were looking at, how much of that was from the stretch and how much of that was from the windup? Mm, I'm not sure. It was just one pitch. I'll have to look it up. But yeah, I would expect, I mean, his stride length is definitely longer from the windup, from the stretch. He, you know, he lowers his height a little bit. He gets a little bit, he, he quickens his delivery. So he has a lesser stride from the stretch. Um, and that that perceived velocity, or they're calling it effective velocity, even though it's not quite the parent, the Perry husband version. But right. um, as far as the perceived velocity stuff, it's it's based on the average major league pitcher's release point. So if he's two mile an hour, miles an hour short, that means he's almost a foot short of the major league average release point. So that is definitely having an impact. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's based on the idea that the hitter has a longer time to see the ball on its way to the plate. So he's, it would make sense that his true velocity, he's not having the same results based on, on what we would expect um, by looking just purely at his raw velocity. So is there something that you can do if you're a pitcher who's whatever his height is? I mean, can you compensate for that somehow, either by hiding the ball or by increasing the length of your stride, even though your your legs might not be as long as another pitcher's? Um, increasing the stride is one thing, and that's tied to momentum. Um, the other thing is being able to have uh, 
proper posture. We used to say that uh, for every one inch of, of spine tilt, essentially, it costs you two inches of distance at release point. And he has been getting better at that. That's something that he's really improved this season. Um, his, his balance overall, his posture at release point looks a lot better. But he still has some work to do. So to me, he's giving up a little bit on that end. But when you've got that much power surging through the system, it's really difficult for him to repeat that release point and to, find, and to keep it stable. So um, I expect that to take a little bit of time before he really hones it. But the fact that he's making those kind of improvements already by, by leaps and bounds just this season, um, that really bodes well for his future. So Trevor Rosenthal's wild pitch on Sunday. Uh, afterward, he spent a while cleaning his spikes, but he said that uh, the spikes had nothing to do with the fact that he threw a pitch. Uh, 50 feet straight into the ground. Did you see anything in his mechanics that would explain why he threw that pitch? Rosenthal's got a lot of things in his mechanics overall, and a lot of it is really tied to barriers to repetition. Um, he has so many things that he does that are that make it difficult for him to find that same timing, especially to generate the same big torque that he's used to. Um, so he's a guy that, to me, is always volatile, just because of his delivery. So it, it's possible that I had, it's very possible that I had nothing to do with his cleats and had everything to do with just when he ended up, how he ended up lining up his delivery on that pitch. And he had a very different season this year than he did last year. Last year, he basically never walked anybody. Uh, this year, his walk rate more than doubled. Uh, should, uh, based on you know what you just said about how kind of volatile he can be, um, is it conceivable that Mike Matheny... Uh, should be thinking about replacing his closer in the middle of the NLCS. That's such a tough thing to do. That it's such a not only a small sample to deal with, but you don't want to mess with. I mean, here comes the team chemistry argument, right? But um, you don't necessarily want to mess with what's been working. Uh, although this is the <laughs> this is the ultimate time where things end up. Everything is underneath a microscope at this point. Um, to be honest, it's something I think they should have been looking at more mid-season. Um, but the fact that they've stuck with him this long, I think they have to stick with him uh, going forward. It does seem like they will. Although I will note that last year Rosenthal became the closer like 40 minutes before the postseason started. So That's Mike a good point. Matheny, yeah, if any if any manager is willing to to change his ninth inning uh, in a pennant race or or what have you, might be Matheny. Uh, is there anything else that we should be keeping an eye out, or that seems significant, or that's not getting enough play about this postseason, or uh, that should give us full confidence in our uh, playoff predicting abilities once we've uh, well, not, them. <laughs> nothing can give us full confidence i mean predicting playoffs is a fool's errand i mean you just look at that nats giant series where i think uh every single game the team that had the better starting pitcher ended up losing and that's usually my kind of my default you know if a team has the better starting pitcher three times out of four I, i'm going to say that team is probably going to win in four not that it's going to perfectly work out that way but there's a good chance that that is going to play a bigger role than anything else well, that hasn't been the case so far. So, uh, you know, for the Cardinals to lose uh, Wayne Wainwright, for him to even if he's he says he's figured it out or he says you know that's something that that he's identified, that doesn't mean he's ironed it out yet. And so, when you combine the Wainwright issues with uh, Molina going out, that was such a huge loss for the Cardinals overall. Um, uh, to me, that's a big worry uh, overall. I mean, very few guys have actually been pitching like studs, other than say Bumgarner uh, for this postseason. So I just looked at those two videos, and the, the Ventura video, its base is empty, and he throws a pitch that is 98.1 miles per hour with a perceived velocity of 96.2 miles per hour, and the extension is five feet even. And then the, oh, other, yeah. the other video, 
on the the Trevor Rosenthal wild pitch, and he's you know he falls down. So I don't know if this is a, a representative extension for him or not. But he throws the ball ninety eight point nine. The perceived velocity is ninety nine point six, and his extension is six feet five inches, which is I mean that's a full foot and a half closer to the plate, and yet Rosenthal's listed height is only two inches more than Ventura. So that's I mean that's a pretty extraordinary difference that can't just be accounted for by their height. I don't know whether one has, you know, a, a higher leg to rest of body ratio or something, but I guess there's there's something that Rosenthal is doing to release the ball much closer to the plate than Ventura is, according to those numbers. Well and he also glides the front foot over the over the dirt of the mound and he ends with a flexed front knee, which allows him to track after after the foot's hit the ground, it allows him to track the body a little bit closer to the plate. So th- I mean, there's your answer right there. The you know one and a half, one point four feet or whatever of extra distance that he's getting makes up that perceived velocity difference. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And one more question, since you wrote about him in an article for this week, Wade Davis. I'm curious what your thoughts are on uh, pitchers going to and from the bullpen, which is I think something Sam is working on an article also about. And what do you think makes a particularly successful uh, starter to reliever transition? Or what what qualities do you look for in a pitcher when you're trying to project how much better he might be in a relief role? And why has that worked so well for Davis, seemingly? Well, a lot of it for me is how their stuff translates. You've got plenty of guys who just don't have the stuff to start. They don't have that third pitch is the common way of looking at it. Um, but also not everybody has that huge velocity jump once they right. move over into the bullpen. Um, Davis saw a bit of that velocity jump, but for him, he was able, able to eliminate a couple of pitches and really focus in on that fastball. And it's something where it, I also look at mechanics. If this is a guy who mechanically he's unable to repeat that release point, he's a bit erratic, then overall he's a candidate for the bullpen for me. That was kind of my take on Henry Mejia from the, from the beginning, actually. Um, just to throw another example out there. Uh, but someone like Wade Davis, uh, to me, he is he's a perfect candidate for the bullpen because of his stuff. It, mechanically, he's he worked as a starter. He was fine. Um, but now he can really ramp it up and he can really harness the power parts of his delivery, get that momentum going, generate a whole lot of torque um, without having to worry about saving himself for three, four, five, six, seven innings. Um, to me, that's the huge difference for him to be able to really just air it out. Mejia has to stay in the bullpen because of the work he's doing with save celebrations. He's really the, <laughs> yeah. he's really the, he's doing things that no one else is doing. He's really innovating in the form of save celebrations. It's so over though. Value alone. I think yeah. it's over. I think he's it been maybe uh, over. I think he's been shut down. <laughs> but we'll see. Maybe <laughs> once most... he, yeah, once he racks up some saves and gets a better, get a higher status, maybe he'll be able to return to tinkering with his save celebration. Okay, well. Thank you for walking us through this stuff, Doug, and and everyone can find Doug's work at BP, where he usually has pretty pictures and gifts that help to illustrate this stuff. It's pretty hard to do it on a podcast, uh, but I think he did an excellent job. And of course, you can find him on Twitter at Doug underscore Thorburn, where you can ask him about any particular pictures you're interested in. So thank you, Doug. Hey, Doug. Got it. Thanks a lot, guys. Doug. Doug, when you're when you're telling us a thing that a pitcher is doing, are you uh, alone in the room? Are you miming it? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I am alone in the room, and yes, I am miming it. I thought so. <laughs> I don't know how you couldn't. It's it's practically impossible not to. No, my my like hands are going crazy. My <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm actually too, yeah. I'm displaying my, the delivery to my huskies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so they're unimpressed. <laughs> we will take questions maybe at some point this week. Keep sending them at podcasts at baseballperspectives.com. Please join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash effectively wild, where you can watch playoff games with other listeners. And please support our sponsor, the Play Index at Baseball Reference, by going to baseballreference.com, subscribing to the Play Index using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We will be back tomorrow.